Chapter Six of the Mystery of the Ravenspurs by Fred M. White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Abel carries out his errand. When Ralph Ravenspur reached the basement, his whole aspect had changed. For the next day or two, he brooded about the house, mainly with his own thoughts for company. He was ubiquitous. His silent, cat-like tread carried him noiselessly everywhere. He seemed to be looking for something with those sightless eyes of his. Those long fingers were crooked, as if about the throat of the great mystery. He came into the library where Rupert Ravenspur and Marion were talking earnestly. He dropped in upon them as if he had fallen from the clouds. Marion started and laughed. "'I declare you frighten me,' she said. "'You are like a shadow, the shadow of one's conscience.' "'There can be no shadow on yours,' Ralph replied. "'You are too pure and good for that. "'Never, never will you have cause to fear me.' "'All the same, I wish you were less like a cat,' Ravenspur exclaimed petulantly as Marion walked smilingly away. "'Anybody would imagine that you were part of the family mystery, Ralph. Do you know anything?' "'I am blind,' Ralph replied doggedly. "'Of what use is a blind man?' "'I don't know. They say that when one sense is lost, the others are sharpened. And you came home so mysteriously. You arrived at a critical moment for me.' You were at my door at the time when help was sorely needed. Again, when you burst my door open, you did the only thing that could have saved me. Common sense, sir. You were stifling and I gave you air. Ravenspur shook his head. He was by no means satisfied. It was the common sense that is based upon practical experience and you prowl about in dark corners. You wander about the house in the dead of the night. You hint at a strange past, but as to that past you are dumb. For heaven's sake, if you know anything, tell me. The suspense is maddening. I know nothing, and I am blind, Ralph repeated. As to my past, that is between me and my maker. I dare not speak of it. Let me go my own way, and do not interfere with me. And whatever you do or say, tell nobody, nobody, mind, that you suspect me of knowledge of the family trouble. Ralph turned away abruptly and refused to say more. He passed from the castle across the park slowly, but with the confidence of a man who is assured of every step. The recollection of his boyhood's days stood him in good stead. He could not see, but he knew where he was, and even the grim cliffs held no terrors for him. He came at length to a certain spot where he paused. It was here years ago that he had scaled the cliffs at the peril of his neck and found the raven's nest. He caught the perfume of the heather and the crushed fragrance of the wild thyme, but their scents were as nothing to his nostrils. 
for he had caught another scent that had brought him up all standing with his head in the air. The odor was almost exhausted. There was merely a faint suspicion of it, but at the same time it spoke to Ralph as plainly as words. He was standing near the hollow where Geoffrey had been two days ago. In his mind's eye, Ralph could see into this hollow. Years before he had been used to lie there winter evenings when the Brent and Ducks were coming in from the sea. He scrambled down, sure-footed as a goat. Then he proceeded to grope upon the grass with those long, restless fingers. He picked up a charred stick or two, smelt it, and shook his head. Presently his hand closed upon the burnt fragments of a gourd. As Ralph raised this to his nostrils, his eyes gleamed. "'I was certain of it,' he muttered. Two of the Bonzies have been here, and they have been making the pie. If I could only see!' As yet he had not heard of Geoffrey's singular discovery. There had been no favorable opportunity of disclosing the secret. Ralph retraced his steps moodily. For the present he was helpless. He had come across the clue to the enigma, but only he knew of the tremendous difficulties and dangers to be encountered before the heart of the mystery could be revealed. He felt cast down and discouraged. There was bitterness in his heart for those who had deprived him of his precious sight. "'Oh, if I could only see!' he cried. "'A week or month to look from one eye into another, to strip off the mask and lay the black soul bare. And yet, if the one only guessed what I know, my life would not be worth an hour's purchase.' And if those people at the castle only knew that the powers of hell, living, raging hell, were arrayed against them. But they would not believe. An impotent sigh escaped the speaker. Just for the moment his resolution had failed him. It was some time before he became conscious of the fact that someone was dogging his footsteps. "'Do you want to see me?' he demanded. There was no reply for a moment. Abel came up cautiously. He looked around him, but so far as he could see, he and Ravenspur were alone. As he caught sight of the latter's face, he had no ground for further doubt. "'I did want to see you, and see you alone, sir,' Abel replied. I believe I have the pleasure of speaking to Mr. Ralph Ravenspur. The same, sir, Ralph said coldly. You are a stranger to me. A stranger who brings a message from a friend. I was to see you alone, and for two days I have been waiting for this opportunity. My employer asks me to deliver this box into your hands. At the same time, Abel passed the little brass case into Ralph's hand. As his fingers closed upon it, a great light swept over his face. A hoarse shout came from his lips that turned from red to blue, and then to white and red again. 
So Chigorsky had behaved when he discovered that this man still lived. "'Who gave you this, and what is your message?' Ravenspur panted. "'The message,' said Abel, "'was merely this. I was to give you the box and say, "'Chigorsky, danger, and walk away, unless you detained me.' "'Then my friend Chigorsky is alive?' "'Yes, sir. It is my privilege to be his private secretary.' "'A wonderful man,' Ralph cried. "'Perhaps the most wonderful man in Europe. "'And to think that he is alive. "'If an angel had come down from heaven and asked me to crave a boon, "'I should have asked to have Tchigorsky in the flesh before me. "'You have given me new heart of grace. "'You are like water in a dry land. "'This is the happiest day I have known since—' The speaker paused and mumbled something incoherent. But the stolid expression had gone from his scarred face, and a strange, triumphant happiness reigned in its stead. He seemed years younger. His step had grown more elastic. There was a fresh, broad ring in his voice. "'Chigorsky will desire to see me,' he said. Indeed, it is absolutely essential that we should meet, and that without delay. A time of danger lies before us, danger that the mere mortal does not dream of. Take this to Tchigorsky and be careful of it. He drew from a chain inside his vest a small case, almost identical to the one that Abel had just handed to him, save that it was silver while the other was brass. On it were the same queer signs and symbols. "'That will convince my friend that the puzzle is intact,' he continued. "'We hold the key to the enigma, nay, the key to the past and future. But all this is so much Greek to you. I will come and see my friend on Friday, but not in the guise of Ralph Ravenspur.' "'What am I to understand by that, sir?' Abel asked. "'It matters nothing what you understand,' Ralph cried. "'Jagorski will know. Tell him 7.15 at Euston on Friday, not in the guise of Ravenspur or Jagorski. He will read between the lines. Go and be seen with me no more.' Ralph strode off with his head in the air. His blood was singing in his ears. His pulse was leaping with a new life. "'At last,' he murmured, "'after all these years for myself and my kin. At last!' End of chapter 6